welcome to podcast number 18 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a monthly program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, from planner to partner. Most of our shows up to now have focused on the journey financial advisors have taken to holistic fee-only planning. Many founded their own practices, often after experience in unrelated fields, while others made the transition from elsewhere in financial services to a fiduciary model more in keeping with their personal and professional values. Increasingly, though, we see planners coming to the profession as their first career with a commitment to fiduciary, fee-only planning from the very start of their journeys. Over time, many of these planners take ownership roles in their firms. What's the experience like for someone who started their professional life in the same firm they're now in charge of running? Our guest today is Alicia Klein, CFP EA, Senior Planner and Partner at Cambridge Financial Group, with offices in Tucson, Arizona. After several years as a financial planner, Alicia became the second of three partners in her firm. And in 2020, she joined ACP's board of directors. Alicia, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you're a partner in your firm, and you actually started working there before you graduated college. When did you know you wanted to be a financial planner? And did you ever think about a model that wasn't fee-only? So I've always known that I wanted to be a fee-only financial advisor, and I, it stemmed from very early in, in life when I was just naturally good at money. And I noticed that those around me weren't good, I say with air quotes, with money. Budgeting came natural to me, my allowances, running small entrepreneurial uh, endeavors like lemonade stands as a child. and The foray into fee-only financial planning came also at an early age because my grandfather is Burt Whitehead, who founded ACP, then ACA, and his sister, my great-aunt, is also a fee-only financial planner based here out of Tucson and started her financial planning firm as a woman in the 1980s. So I had a lot of good mentors and role models to look after. So um, fee-only planning is in your blood, so to speak. Yeah, you could say that. So we could describe your own firm with a lot of different adjectives, fiduciary, fee-only, holistic. Why are each of these elements important to how you approach financial planning? So when I think of financial planning or when I think of how the consumer thinks of it, they might take any one piece, so investments or taxes, or insurance. And in my opinion, and how I've practiced, it's really hard to do any of those pieces right without taking into account all of the other pieces. So I can't do investments for a client without also looking at their tax situation and without also knowing their estate planning needs and their family dynamics. Um, so that's the holistic approach. The, the fee only is so important to me and to consumers that 
I'm being compensated for the advice I'm giving, regardless of um, what that advice is. It should be tailored to the client. And fee only eliminates all the conflicts of interest that usually come up with commission-based structures. And fiduciary is important because to me, it seems like a no-brainer. I've always grown up in this industry. It's the only financial industry that I know is the fee-only fiduciary. But to work in the best interest of your clients. I don't I can't imagine another way of working for my clients than to do what's best for them. I feel the same way about the fiduciary standard. I'm sure in my case some of that has to do with having started my professional life in law where it's such a incomprehensible environment that's affecting people's lives. And for a lot of our clients, I think financial planning is the same. I also find, like you do, that I can't stop doing the planning while, while looking at just one portion of the, the plan itself. I, I don't know how to do an investment plan without paying attention to taxes. That's just the most obvious of the connections in the holistic approach. Do your clients get that? Or do you find that sometimes some of your clients might not get the importance of all the pieces. I know I've had clients say, oh, we've looked at our insurance a long time ago. It's fine, which makes them feel great, but makes me worried. Do you find that some clients are not as sure from the start that it all needs to be looked at to, for it to be a full financial plan? You know, I've had some pushback, uh, but we one of the most important parts for our firm of bringing new clients on is doing a a proper screening process where we set up a phone call with them to make sure that they actually want and need financial planning in the comprehensive sense. And so we have a nice referral source for people who only want investments or only want insurance and aren't going to be in it because this is a, a very large financial investment for our clients and we want to make sure that they're in it all the way. But once people come on and we start going through the process, through the ACP model, we have this great system set up that we can show them the importance of why we need to look at insurance, why we need to look at investments, estate planning, tax planning, business planning. All of these things are important to their total financial health. And once you're able to communicate that effectively with the clients, there's no pushback really. So there are some potential clients that you won't work with. What's the most common request that you have from people who think they'd like to work with you, but don't understand what it is that you actually do and that you end up referring elsewhere? Yeah, usually that's a dead giveaway when people say, what are your annual investment returns? Those are going to be clients who are going to be chasing returns. They're not going to necessarily be interested in the comprehensive nature of what we do and maybe not understand that there's more to the financial plan than your annual year-over-year returns that are a lot more valuable and uh, lucrative for the client. The other request that we get is generally high debt loads and not wanting to take into account paying off debt and uh, working towards building your portfolio and having proper liquidity and all of these pieces work together. So clients who are coming in laser focused on debt payoff may not be the best fit 
now. So we always send them to a referral and say, once you get that handled, please come back to us. We'd be happy to work with you. It brings to mind clients that we had years ago, delightful people. I really enjoyed my meetings with them. The only problem was they had children who were getting really close to college age. And we had an entire process of a comprehensive financial plan laid out for them. We had it all calendared out. And every meeting began with, this is great, but before we get started talking about insurance or estate planning, we've got some college planning questions. And at the end of more than a year, we'd answered a tremendous number of college planning questions and done almost none of the comprehensive financial plan. It was. It just turned out not to be a good fit because what they said they wanted and what I think they thought they wanted didn't turn out to be what they actually wanted. So there's sometimes some surprises too, but uh, we find the same thing about people who are focused on our projecting what our rate of return is going to be. At the moment we find out someone wants us to beat the market, we know our conversation is over. Right. I think we have all of us within ACP who have come across clients who we think they know what they want. They think they know what they want. You get partially through the year or six months into the relationship of working together and realize it's it's not a good fit. And in those situations, we have had to fire clients and just go our separate ways, always respectfully. And if we can, giving them a resource that would better fit their needs. But it's the tough part of sticking to our guns and doing what we're good at and not compromising. And I think you've brought up an important point, Alicia, that it's, you know, you describe this as being in your relationship with the client. And it's a professional relationship, but like most relationships, it takes some time to figure out whether or not it's working. You know, whether it's, you know, somebody just started dating somebody new or just chose a new physician or just chose a new lawyer or has just begun working with a new financial planner. Uh, sometimes they start out with great promise and we discover that a change is necessary. But I think you're right. I think we've all encountered that. So you started working with Cambridge Financial Group really before you graduated college. When did you know you wanted to become an owner and how did those discussions get started? When I started working with Penny Marchand, who is the principal owner of Cambridge Financial Group, it was in the fall of 2011. And I knew I wanted to go into fee-only financial planning. I had interned with Bert. I had interned with my aunt. And those were both great experiences. But I wanted to go a different route of not working with family and being able to branch out on my own and, and show that I was good enough, I guess, without having that family propping me up. So the legacy was so important to me that I I honor where I came from, but it was also important to me that I did not stay with a, a family firm. Um, so with Penny, so she gave me a lot of opportunities early on to expand my responsibilities and be client facing. And then um, when she offered me a full-time position upon graduating college, I was thrilled to take it. But I also had in the back of my mind that maybe one day I would build up a few clients and then go off on my own. 
that was something that I had seen a lot of ACP firms do over the years is they build up a client base, they buy out their part of the practice from their firm. Um, but through the mentorship and leadership of Penny, we've started organically building what's called an ensemble practice where our client bases were so integrated that it would have been quite challenging to split off or silo off is another term that we use um, our practices. And then it became very clear, I think, to both of us that this was a great uh, win-win situation for both of us. She was in her mid-50s at the point. I was just starting out in my career. So I don't know that there was one point where we decided that I was going to start working towards partner, but it became very clear that I was very loyal to the firm and she was looking at me and our other partner, Cole McLaren, as a succession route in addition to just having a really wonderful working relationship while she is not retired. So the conversation around becoming a partner, I, it probably four-ish years into me working with her, we've certainly had those conversations about what that would look like. And then we sat in on a, a conference presentation from a firm that works with financial planners to do succession planning and acquisitions. And it felt like we finally had this framework to start building our partnership conversations around. And so that certainly helped both of us feel more comfortable with that transition. And it also helped us ease into it. So I started with a small amount of ownership and then um, have gradually bought more. And so the, the hope is that by the time Penny is ready to retire, that ownership transition will have happened very slowly. And so far, the clients have been very receptive to it. And it's just, a, again, going back to the organic growth of the firm, it's been an organic transition. I think back to my time when I started out my professional life as a lawyer, uh, something I did for three years before moving on. And the expectation at the time was just understood that if you're going to work for a average size law firm, you'd be an associate for seven years. And at that point, if you were good enough, you'd be offered partnership. At larger law firms, it would take more time. At smaller law firms, it would take less time. But all you really needed to do in the interview process was confirm that expectation. And I don't think it's like that with financial planning firms like ours. I think there's a, a lot that's unique to each firm's personality. So it's interesting to hear about this organic process that you and Penny went through as you both began to see a future for you with the firm. And it's so dependent on the size of the firm and the number of clients that you have, the relationships that we've built with our clients. For for Penny, she's been working with some of our clients since the early 90s. And so for a partner to come in and take over those relationships, we really have to honor that trust and in that relationship and not try to rush it or force this type of relationship because it is so built on years and years of trust. And so that, again, our firm has gone through such a transformation in the last 10 years so when we were 
a decade ago, Cambridge Financial Group was more of a lifestyle practice with 50 clients. And Penny, when she brought me on, took a real leap of faith that I would be able to help her grow the firm into something much larger. So um, you've been a partner for a few years now. What's different about being a partner? I was thinking about this because my day-to-day activity is very much the same. At our firm, we have a organizational chart of different requirements to move from support advisor, which is our paraplanner role, to service advisor, which is a lot more hands-on with the client, our lead advisor, who is leading client relationships, but may not yet be able to take on the more complex clients. And then our senior advisor is someone who can handle it all in in terms of the client relationship. And so when you move from senior advisor to partner on our org chart, the major distinction is that as a senior advisor, you're thinking strategically like a partner. So looking at the big picture, thinking about the future of the firm and not just the future of your practice or your client base. And so that culture was really instilled in me in the very beginning that I knew that I had to think about this firm as or just take some ownership over the firm, even though I wasn't yet an owner. And so in that regard, my day-to-day hasn't changed so much. I think within the firm, our responsibilities have certainly shifted. And as we've taken on more staff, I have less of the administrative and para planning and all of that going on, but that's more of a product of, of growing. From a partnership, I have really enjoyed the aspect of knowing that I am somewhat responsible or very much responsible for the livelihoods of our staff. We have an amazing team of seven of us. And before I I felt this great pride to be able to help our clients build their wealth and to live prosperous lives and to be an employer now that is, again, partially responsible for people in our community having jobs and being able to live fulfilling lives because of those jobs. I have a great deal of pride in that, of being able to provide good jobs for people in our local community. I can relate to that. And that was an unexpected benefit of bringing on staff members when I graduated from doing everything myself, which is uh, quickly becomes inefficient as, as a solo practice grows. I was not thinking about how satisfying it would be to have some responsibility for making somebody else's paycheck. You talk about having ownership of the result, that entrepreneurial sense that it's your responsibility to make the firm successful. And uh, from the point of view of of any owner, when you see that in a team member, uh, that's priceless. I, I think of someone who worked for me years ago, and she knows I frequently tell this story about some idea that I had that was I thought was going to make life better for our clients. It turned out I was incorrect, because when I explained the idea to her, she said, no, Ken, we're not doing that. 
And I smiled at my administrative assistant and said, really? And she folded her arms and looked me in the eye and said, this is my firm. We are not doing that. And I thought, okay, we're not doing that because whatever we would have gained from doing that, it would have cost me that amount of ownership that she felt as an administrative assistant to make what we were offering to our clients something meaningful and special. And I've never regretted that decision. And and to this day, I can't remember what my brilliant idea was, but it can't have been that great because we've been making progress without it for many years now. I can totally relate to that. And within our staff, we have a very collaborative feel um, where everybody's ideas hold equal weight and the partners have, of course, final say on that. But everyone on our team knows that they can come to us with new ideas for tech or new ideas for ways that we work with clients and services we offer and everything will be taken very seriously. We spend more time with the people in our company than we may spend with our family sometimes. So it's important that sense of ownership is there for everybody and not just the partners. I find that to be some of what I most value in my team as well, knowing that these are not just people whose contributions I appreciate, but people that I just genuinely like working with. I genuinely like being around. And if we were not working together, we'd be finding reasons to spend time together, which certainly beats prior experience that I had before I entered financial planning, where I was not always working with people I cared about so much. <laughs> and and I'm sure the feeling was mutual at the time. So ACP is probably more a part of your life than it is for many of the rest of the 180-some-odd of us, because as you mentioned, ACP's founder, Burt Whitehead, is your grandfather. So now that you have experienced the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners as a planner employed by somebody else and now as a partner, what is it that you get out of your experience with ACP? And has that changed as your role in your firm has changed? The answer is yes. It has changed with my experience in my firm being an employee to an employer. It's also changed in how much I've been involved in ACP. And so as an employee, in the early beginning of my career, I was focused on getting my CFP and then getting my EA and then getting my first 10 clients and then getting really good at that part of my job. So it was very inward looking about how can I get better and how can I grow as an advisor. And it wasn't until I met all of those thresholds, I made partner, that I was able to just take a big sigh of relief and start looking outwardly. Because I think what we do as a profession is one of the most fun jobs that you can do. And I love that ACP helps bring that to others in the industry who are changing industries or who are changing careers. Or I know we have a subset of CPAs that are looking to add financial planning to their tax practices. So for all of those reasons, I got really excited at looking towards ACP and just my involvement as a planner in the industry and 
got a lot less inward focused and started looking more outwardly. So the first thing I did was took a look at what I, I felt was missing from my relationship with ACP and having not founded a firm my own and coming in as an employee, I know in those early years, I felt a little bit of distance from the other advisors. But as as you know, and you've got staff in this this role, but there's a really growing trend of associate advisors or second advisors in firms that didn't necessarily start with ACP or start their own form, excuse me, um, but have joined ACP and are now growing into their own as professionals within an existing ACP firm. So I founded what was called the G2 committee, Generation 2. And it was really focused on getting us non-founding members of ACP a place in a community within the organization that we could kind of build our tribe and our friends at the conferences. And so that gave me a lot of insight into what ACP can provide for people. Since joining the ACP board in January of 2020, I have been going through a lot of the old documents and success program and resources that are available to ACP members that I I had not really spent a lot of time looking at because our firm was so established in our processes. And every time I go on to the member-to-member forum or to the success program to look something up, I'm amazed at how much good information is out there. And so we've already started to adapt our current processes with these existing documents or resources within ACP. And this is from a firm that's been around for 25 years and still finding new little tidbits that are so valuable to our firm and to our clients. And to me, because of my relationship with Bert, I thought it was the only way. And now I know it's the best way because I've practiced it. And more so than that, I have seen clients who have come from advisors who were not doing things holistically or with the fiduciary responsibility or with the fee only. And I've I've seen ways that people have been taken advantage. So it's not only a way that we get to serve clients, it feels good to do things the right way. Of all the things that I have had to concern myself with since founding my own firm back in the year 2000 and seeing so many things change over the years, but I never had to worry about what I saw when I looked in the mirror and asked, am I holding myself to a high enough standard? We have expertise that we can Uh, We have a choice. We could hoard it and keep it secret, or we can apply it for the benefit of our clients. And it doesn't diminish its value. It increases its value when you say, what's the best interest of the client and how can I serve that? And it naturally tends to point us to what's the next thing we can do to add more value for the client, which I think is in the best interest of the profession. One of the other things that occurs to me, you mentioned earlier about the not uncommon pattern of people working for other ACP advisors and then buying out their practices and starting their own firms, if that's what they happen to want to do. And one thing that 
comes to mind is that there is this model that many of us have followed with our employment agreements with those other advisors. Instead of saying, here's the non-compete and how badly you will be hurt if you try to take clients away. Instead of saying that, uh, we say, if you should decide you want to start your own firm, here's how you can go about buying out your clients and here's how we will help you get your, your own firm set up. Why not be prepared for that from the start? Because it is better for the client. When you ask what's in the client's best interest, a lot of things like that become really clear. Our employee contracts have always laid out how to buy out your clients if you chose to leave and never with a understanding that if you left, you would be barred from working in this town ever again or whatever the old adage is. So I just am so grateful for that point of view because I think a lot of ACP members feel this way, but there is no way that we can serve everybody. And so Tucson, we serve a number of clients here, but there's a million people in this town and there's no way that our firm can reach all of them. So it's in the community's best interest to have more advisors. So I don't view any of the ACP members in our town or in other fee-only advisors in our town as competitors because they're not. There's so much need out there for good, unbiased, fee-only financial advice. And if we each focus on what it is that we're best at, we'll all have plenty of business and it will be efficient for us if we avoid the temptation that I will admit I succumb to early in my practice of wanting to just get another client. So, okay, this one doesn't quite fit my niche market, but that's okay. I'll read up and figure it out. I can't possibly offer as much value to that person as I can to someone who presents a situation that's right in my niche that I have worked with dozens and dozens and dozens of times before. And not to mention that just translates into more referrals because the better you get at your niche means they're going to tell all of their friends and then you're known as the expert in whatever that particular field is. I'm so grateful for Penny's leadership and mentorship because at our firm, we have fixed salaries. We're not on commission and we don't even do revenue splits. And all of our bonus structures are based on company-wide growth. And the reason for that is it focuses on the good of the company and not just one member getting ahead. And that can lead to conflicts of interest or bringing on clients who are bad fits and don't meet the high standards that we set for our clients, which is first and foremost, nice people that we like to work with. And secondly, they're committed to the process and the comprehensive nature of what we do. I know that when you're first starting out, if you're founding your firm, that there you you can't be as picky and choosy. So I just feel so grateful that I did enter into an established firm that we can slow grow and be picky about who we take on and not worrying about our compensation being tied to that. It was 
a very good day for me, the day that I realized that there were no longer clients who came through the door that I was not delighted to see. And it's been that way for for quite some time. And my guidance to a, a newer advisor to somebody founding their own firm would be to make that transition earlier than you think you're ready, because you're probably ready to say goodbye to those non-perfect fit clients before you may think you are. When you look at the calendar and you get a little pit in your stomach, that is a client you should not have anymore. Right. Right. Very well said. Very well said. And it's a it's a little bit like having the weight of the world taken off your shoulders when you uh, explain to the client that they should really be served by someone else. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great catching up with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Alicia Klein, CFP, EA, Senior Planner and Partner at Cambridge Financial Group with offices in Tucson, Arizona. At the start of 2020, Alicia joined ACP's Board of Directors. There's a link to Alicia's website in our show notes. This is podcast number 18 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. In 2020, ACP's celebrating 25 years of training advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower-cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.